So it's been said that at first, most of us assumed COVID was something like a blizzard. Storm that was gonna come through, it'd be hard, it would disrupt, there'd be some rebuilding that would need to happen, but it couldn't possibly last that long. And now we have theaters and churches and workplaces saying they're, uh, they're not gonna open, go back to normal at all until at least 2021. We have uh, an uncertain fall as flu season approaches. Are we gonna go back into shelter in place? I don't think blizzard was the right metaphor. We seem to be actually in some kind of winter, like a long, uncertain and sustained season. And so I'd say it's much like life, right? Seasons that have storms. So all this got me thinking about evergreen trees, natural transition. Trees that don't really change even in the wintertime when other trees are bare and lifeless. The evergreen is still there, standing proud with color, providing shelter, unchanging from summer to winter. How do I become evergreen? How do we stay evergreen? How do we stay full of life in every season? I think this is actually a critical question going in to this season. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 1, 2 to 3. Psalm 1, 2 to 3. Psalm begins with, blessed is the one. Blessed is the one. And then in verse 2, it says, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. So today I have three simple things I want us to consider. And then we're gonna do a simple practice actually together. So three things we see in this text. One is what to do. Two is when to do it. And then three is our posture where to have through it. So meditate on the word, do it day and night, and then delight in it. So, so first thing, meditate on the law. Now the law here is a way of talking about the scriptures. Uh, on this side of Jesus, on this side of this text being written, we're referring to the Bible. Accounts and stories and songs and laments and letters that reveal God at work in the lives of real people in real places, in real times throughout the ages. We're told in one place that all of scripture all of it is for our instruction, all of it. And here we read um, to, to not just uh, study it, uh, which is by the way, incredibly important, but actually to meditate on it. Now I wasn't growing up, didn't, wasn't taught a lot about meditation. Meditation in the scriptures is about fixing the mind on a truth, speaking to your own heart about it until in some mysterious and often powerful way, God comes near and you sense his presence. When we talk about meditation in this day and age, we're usually talking about the Eastern form of it. Now, Eastern meditation is about trying to get yourself into a certain mental state. It's about emptying the mind of all thought. It's about being open to the universe, which brings in a lot of assumptions even about what the universe is, which is a different talk altogether. Emptying your mind is tough because you can't really escape yourself. You're, you're going to be directed in some way, even if it's just by yourself. And most of us are honest about the fact that the heart is fickle. Christian meditation is about filling, not emptying. Or, or maybe you could say it like this. It's about focusing. And it's focusing on outside revelation 
of what is good and what is true and what is beautiful. It's not an inward fixation on our fickle hearts. It's about focusing our attention on the word and the promises of God. It's about fixing your mind on the truth and then speaking it, like we talked about last week, speaking it to yourself. And we're told it's there where God actually mediates his own presence in our lives. So the Hebrew word here for meditation is this word haga, and you gotta like roll the R a little bit when you say it. And I wanna show you another place where haga is used, Isaiah 31. Uh, it reads this, as a lion growls, a great lion over its prey, and though a whole band of shepherds is called together against it, it is not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor. Now the Hebrew word for growls, I'm sure you can guess, is the same word that we use, or that's used here in the Psalms for meditate, haga. And the word is actually an onomatopoeia. So that was just for all the English majors out there. If you don't know what an onomatopoeia is, it's where the word sounds like the very thing it describes, like honk or beep or crash or bang or hiss. You get the idea. You say the word haga with a fierce tone and a little like roll to that G. One writer says, it should sound like the deep murmuring growl of a lion hunched over its prey, proclaiming to the world around it that it means business. I love that. So I want to have a little fun with this idea because maybe for you, meditation on God's word might bring to mind like an Instagrammable setup where you take a few minutes to read a couple verses over coffee and then move on, which is fine and a great place to start. But the psalmist speaks of a person who devours the text with a fierce and hungry appetite. Meditation, you could say, is taking the truths of God and pressing it down into your heart until it catches fire. It's active. It's focused on a truth that can be trusted. The beginning of meditation is valuing, like the beginning of being able to meditate is valuing the word as revelation from God. It's focusing our heart on what is true. Brennan Manning said this. He says, quote, because we approach the gospel with preconceived notions, so by the gospel, he's talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But because we approach the word with preconceived notions of what it should say rather than what it does say, the word no longer falls like rain on the parched ground of our souls. It no longer sweeps like a wild storm into the corners of our comfortable piety, like our comfortable religiosity. It no longer vibrates like sharp lightning in the dark recesses of our non-historic orthodoxy. The gospel becomes, in the words of Gertrude Stein, and I love this, a pattering of pious platitudes a pattering of pious, like religious phrases spoken by a Jewish carpenter in the distant past. Maybe part of the issue in parts of the church right now is actually that we're not meditating on the word. Maybe the reason why racism enters into the church, maybe the reason why we want to value personal liberty over loving our neighbor, maybe the reason why we don't want to ask questions about our own personal holiness Maybe it's because we're, we're just responding to platitudes and selective readings of the scripture and not letting it be pressed in till it catches fire. There's this, there's this trend of like cynicism around the Bible. 
I found it mostly due to an incredibly anemic understanding of what it is and how to read it. But we can't afford to be cynical. And I'm talking to followers of Jesus right now specifically because there's no spiritual maturity without scriptures, without the scriptures. It's just not there. We can't afford to place ourselves above the scriptures and decide what we want to grant meaning to. You will find it difficult to hear the voice of God if you determine which parts of the Bible you're gonna let work for you. You're going, you're just gonna hear your own voice, which is called an echo chamber. Meditation is not about reading select words. It's about letting all of the word read you. Hebrews 4, uh, verse 12 says, for the word of God is alive. These words are somehow alive. These stories are somehow alive. And this is their active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges like the thoughts. It comes after the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's powerful. This is what the word of God does. Press this into you. Devour this. This is how powerful this is. All right, moving on. Number two. These last two will be a little quicker. The psalmist says, day and night. Do it day and night. It's like set up a practice, a habit, a rhythm, whether or not you feel like it or not. Let me just say this. We can evaluate what we value by looking at what we do with the margin in our lives, what we do with our, our morning and our night. What we do with the time not taken up by work and meals and sleep and parenting is important to pay attention to. Our margin flows effortlessly to that which is our true God. Our margin reveals what we really trust will bring us relief and life and goodness. We have to see the value of the word of God for our formation, for the renewing of our hearts and minds. You have to trust its central place to refresh you, to call you out, to comfort you, to make us evergreen. That valuation will be the thing that will help us get into a rhythm of day and night, of day and night. It's funny how culturally we place value judgments on what we do with our margin, however small or big it is. You see this when uh, you pay attention to the responses many of us have to the things that we do with our margin. So for instance, uh, talking about spending hours monitoring your favorite sports team, totally normal, totally normal. Spending hours monitoring your fantasy sports team, totally normal. Binge watching entire seasons of TV shows on the weekend, completely normal. Saving and spending thousands of dollars for vacations and holidays, really smart. Working out an hour a day, completely normal. Getting up early to seek God. Uh, I'm not, yeah, I mean, yeah, I could. I mean, I'm not really a morning person. Decide, like disciplining your lifestyle. Uh, that sounds a little bit like legalism. You know, be really careful with that. Or having a culture where you use your margin to seek God. Well, that's just straight up fundamentalism. But according to this writer, if you want to be full of life in winter, get into the habit day and night. And if you're right now listening to this going, um, yeah, yeah, of course, right? If you're here in the Zoom, if you're just going, yeah, 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 of course, be in the word more, be in the word more. No, no, I like to preach sermons like this like regularly, at least once a year, because I need to be reminded 
of, of the value and beauty and power of the word and the importance of getting into good habits. Because if I don't, I will drift. Lastly, number three, delight. Don't just meditate, but delight in it. Now, some of the scriptures are instruction. A lot of them are. They're like, these are the words of life. Here's how to live out the way of life. How do you delight in instruction? Well, first, you do that through Jesus. He's revealed what God's like. He's fully revealed the grace of God. He's shown us the love of God so we can enter into instruction with joy because we're not wrestling um, with instruction on how to live for love or for, like, for God's love or for God's acceptance. We're, we're wrestling with instruction from his love and acceptance. But if you explore that, just a little bit changes everything. There's nothing you need to do to earn what is yours in Jesus. So you can come to the word excited to know that God's parenting us in the best and truest and richest sense of the word. And it's not all instruction. It's also songs and laments and doubts. It's filled with pain and rejoicing. It's been written down by suffering people for suffering people. So it creates moments of solidarity. Just yesterday, uh, my wife, Corey, was talking about um, how she's been going through the life of David and she was studying Jonathan and she just had this moment um, of just having so much solidarity with Jonathan. Uh, if you know the story, he's just kind of trapped between these two parties um, that are that are wildly disagreeable with one another. And he finds himself in the middle and being invited to a sort of patience and trust. And Corey's got something in her life that's similar. And she just felt this deep solidarity with Jonathan. And it just gave her this peace and it opened up all these doors and opportunities to pray and think differently about this really kind of critical situation in her life. Creates solidarity as well as brings us into this just beautiful place of uh, delighting and rejoicing in God's instruction. So delight in the word and you will be full of life. Last thing about delighting, I think it's both an instruction like and a consequence. It's something we practice by saying, I'm going to have a posture of thanksgiving for the Bible. All of it. Like, and, and side note, by the way, on that, the all of it part. Like, it's interesting. The, the rabbis uh, had a prayer that they would say when they encountered something they didn't understand that didn't make sense. I like to think it was just every time they went through Leviticus. They're just like going through and they're like, I don't understand this. They would say this prayer. Thank you, God, for this text that one day we will understand the truth and beauty of what you're saying here. Beautiful. So it's an instruction. Do it. Delight. Revel in it. Trust it. Give thanks for it. But it's also a result, I think, of doing the first two parts. A consequence of meditating day and night is that you will begin to find yourself delighting in the word, finding it on the tip of your tongue, experiencing encounters with God through it. This is how you're evergreen. This is a big part of how you can last through the coming winter. We recognize our ability to mind our mind, to get quiet day after day, devouring the word with expectancy that we will encounter God there. Remember, transformation is the result of a renewed mind. Be transformed, Paul says, be changed, be made whole, be evergreen by the renewing of your mind. Uh, the British... Um, pastor, evangelist, uh, just incredible writer. He, he says, the vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion 
to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. He writes, I solemnly state this from the experience of 54 years. The first three years after I became a follower of Jesus, I neglected the word of God. Since I began to search it diligently, the blessing has been wonderful. Great has been the blessing of consecutive, diligent, daily focus on the word of God. I look upon it as a lost day. It's a lost day when I have not had a good time over the word of God. So today, what I want us to do in like our remaining uh, few minutes together, uh, I want us to practice something before we go and take communion together. And it's an ancient practice called Lectio uh, Divinia, or like spiritual reading. And so uh, Lectio is not like a new method of Bible study where like uh, studying the Bible, um, it's more about learning. Um, sorry, it's not about learning. Lectio Divina is this ancient tested method of meeting God in the scriptures. In doing so, like um, what, will do, what will happen to us is allowing the scriptures in cooperation with the spirit to lead us further in intimacy with God. It's a way in which we can meditate on the word. So the practice consists of five distinct movements. And there'll be a link to this actually in the chat. Is preparing to meet with God, one. Two, reading three, reflection, four, response, and then five, rest or contemplation. So I want you to imagine as we read this text, just imagine the text is an ocean and you are stepping into it, the small individuals immersing yourself in these ancient words. So first, prepare. If you've been taking notes on your phone, put your phone down for a moment. Situate yourself comfortably. Try, if you can, to quiet the room. Calm your body. Quiet your mind before God as you work to prepare your heart and to receive what God's spoken. And then just say a prayer with me. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to guide our thinking and feeling as we read. So what I just simply do is, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you are on the throne. God the Father, I thank you that the earth is full of your glory and Holy Spirit, would you come and would you minister to me? And then we're gonna read, you read a passage slowly. So we're gonna read something just carefully. We're gonna take our time with it. It'll be up on the screen so you can also follow along. Pay close attention to the words and ideas that draw your attention in unique ways. So when your focus is drawn to a word or to a thought, Pause to reflect on it with like some kind of specificity, like pause. And obviously we're gonna do this like in a very quick amount of time because I'm teaching this. But I encourage you to go back and do this over the course of five to 10 minutes. So our text is John 15. Read together. As the Father, the words of Jesus, as the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. And so we take a moment to reflect. We return to the beginning, 
and then just read it again. And so on your second walk through the text, allow the text to connect with you personally. Which words or phrases like resonate in your heart with your season of life, with your personhood in this moment? And ask maybe some of the following questions. What do I need to know or be or do in light of this text? What does this mean for my life today? When I do this, I always have a journal out. I just circle and underline and begin to ask questions and recall what comes to mind. So let's read it again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus says, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. And then next what we would do is talk to God about that experience. What came up? What drew your attention? Oftentimes I just go to like, what is the one word or phrase and then zero in on that? And then begin to talk to God about that. I remember taking a friend of mine who was just really wrestling with this idea of hearing God. We would get together every couple of weeks or every other week um, downtown and we would uh, just talk and then we would do a prayer exercise. And so I started bringing her into this church that opened its doors from 12 to 1 for silent prayers, uh, old church downtown. And we did this exercise and we did the verse, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Said it kind of over and over, rehearsed it, prayed through it. And then she would just, I'd let her go and she would just think. And I asked her after a couple times of going through this passage, what is the word that keeps coming up for you? And it surprised me. She said, I just, I can't get off that word, that first word, come, come. And I just started praying and said, God, what do you want me to come to? And like, who am I coming to? And are you really there? Why won't you come to me? And she said in the process of asking those questions and beginning to pray that sort of kind of into the void, she would say, she said she was overwhelmed, like tears coming to her eye, just feeling overwhelmed. Like my God is actually inviting me to come. It's like I can hear his voice in my heart. There was this powerful moment of her waking up to Christ just in sitting with something as simple as the word come. So lastly, we would just rest. Pause to sit in God's presence before running to the next moment. You might express wonder or awe or gratitude or praise, or you might just allow yourself to feel and experience things quietly before God. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. Now, we did all this, this practice in just a few minutes, right? I wanna encourage you this week. It's like an invitation. Carve out 10 minutes this week to do this. Pray as you can, right? Not as you can't. Do more if you can, but just do something that you can. Engage this practice in some way. Even if it's just tonight, don't let the day go. Uh, don't let the sun go down on this and take a moment to practice this um, in, in some place in your home today. 
So in a moment, we're going to go uh, and take communion together. I'm going to lead us and invite us to like, kind of prepare the elements and do some liturgy to close. We want to do this all together and invite more and more people into the Zoom so we can see each other's faces as we continue to worship. But let me pray for us first. Lord Jesus, we just want to kind of seal this moment. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the gift that it is. We thank you, Lord, for the word made flesh in Jesus, Lord that what all of the, 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 uh, the law and laments and songs, the gospel songs and the blues, the doubts and the truths and the rejoicing, Lord, that it all, Lord, finds its like culmination and it all finds its embodiment, Lord, in, in Jesus. And so we thank you, Lord, for all of that. We thank you, Lord, for, for the Bible. And we ask, Lord, that we would just be people who just so deeply value Lord, you, that we would let um, these scriptures, Lord, read us. Pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.